You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Testudo Times Podcast. I am your host, Dylan Spilko, alongside editors Lauren Rush and Sam Oshry. We have a very special show today. We have a special guest. Our Maryland men's lacrosse beat writer, Emmett Siegel, has joined us today for the podcast to talk about the program season. Emmett, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm good. Uh, excited that it's finally feeling like spring outside. So thanks for having me. Yeah, nice and warm weather outside. Maryland men's basketball going tonight against Iowa. But first, since we have you on, we're going to go over Maryland men's lacrosse. So obviously the team, number three in the nation right now behind Virginia and Duke. They won their season opener against High Point. So why don't we just start off with that game? That was the first game that you were covering, obviously, for Testudo Times. What was it like to get that lacrosse season going? What was the atmosphere like? And what did you notice about the team in the first game that they played? Well, uh, what really stuck out about the team and what we've known kind of throughout this offseason, even though they had some key losses, you know, losing Jared Bernhardt, uh, their you know best offensive weapon, uh, losing key defender Nick Grill. Um, the experience on the team really shined through. Um, and not only experience in guys like Logan Wisnowskis that are coming back as fifth-year attackers or guys like Roman Puglisi, uh, defenders or defensive midfielders, um, but also a lot of key transfers that come in with a lot of prior experience. Um, Keegan Kahn had four goals. Um, another transfer, Owen Murphy, had four goals. Jonathan Donville had the first goal of the season. He had two, um, even though he hasn't played in over a year because the Ivy League canceled last season. But uh, what really stuck through is that uh, against a team like High Point, they really just showed their talent advantage and really showed why they're ranked so highly early in the season and why they have all the pieces to make a deep run. And Maryland men's lacrosse, they, they won that one 21 to 13. So obviously the offense was, was working there. Who were some of the, the top performers that you saw against High Point? And who do you kind of expect to to, to continue the dominance that Maryland men's lacrosse has seen throughout the years? Well, the player that really stuck out, and no surprise, was Logan Wisnowskis. Um, he's wearing number one this year. Um, for anyone that doesn't know, uh, generally Maryland men's lacrosse will give number one to uh, their best offensive player. Uh, last year, Jared Bernhardt wore it. Um, and he had five goals. He also had three assists. Um, he really stuck out as a guy that really should be considered probably amongst the nation's best offensive players. Um, he'll, he'll have the hype for the Towards on Award, uh, which is given to the nation's best player. Um, and then also, as I said, the transfers really stuck out. Keegan Kahn had six points. I mentioned he had four goals, but he also had two assists. Um, and he was, he was really key. Anthony DeMeo didn't score. He's a returning attacker. Um, but he had some key assists as well. Um, it really was a well-balanced team. Um, not like last year where they really had a couple guys that they went to. Uh, they're a lot more well-balanced this year. And Coach uh, John Tillman mentioned this at Media Day. I remember asking him about that. And he said that they're looking to be a lot harder to defend this year because they're more of a by-committee approach. And they have a lot of different ways they can get you on offense. And Emmett, um, they started Maryland's lacrosse, obviously started the season number two in the ranking, and they dropped at, to number three. They're now behind Virginia and Duke. Is there anything to that? Or is it just like, the, comp the competition, they were playing high points, not a highly touted team, you know, was there anything to that or not really? Um, I think most of it comes down to scheduling, at least early season scheduling. Um, they started number two right behind Virginia. Makes sense. They lost them in the national championship game last year. 
Um, and the reason why Duke jumped them, I think, just comes down to the fact that Duke played two games last weekend. They only played one, and Duke had a ranked win. Um, Duke's been really impressive. I've been seeing all over national media. Everyone's falling in love with Duke. Um, and that's to be expected. They're a great program. Um, but I, I don't think it's something that fans should get too worried about. I think that as time goes on, Maryland has a difficult schedule. They'll have plenty of opportunities to you know, make a name for themselves and show why they are one of the top teams in the country. And one of those opportunities is uh, coming up in a few days here that they're going to have a top 10 matchup against Loyola. Um, just taking a look at that matchup real quick. What do you expect to see from that? And you know, will Maryland will Maryland have the opportunity to maybe make that jump back to number two if they can get a top 10 win here? Oh, well, Loyola is a great team. Uh, last year was kind of a weird year for them. They started the season five and five. They looked like they had really no chance of making the NCAA tournament. And they won five straight games. Um, they didn't end up playing their conference championship game because they had a COVID problem. Um, but they ended up qualifying for the NCAA tournament, and they lost to Duke in the quarterfinals. They were in overtime. They were within one goal of advancing to the Final Four, and they would have played Maryland. Um, so, I mean, they're a super talented team. They return over 80% of that team, uh, which is really why they're ranked so highly. Um, and, I, you know, I think that if Maryland is able to come out, it's going to be a really difficult challenge. Uh, they're a really well-rounded team. they got players all over the field. But if Maryland is able to come out and win, uh, that will be the best win that anyone has so far this season. Um, this is the highest-ranked matchup so far in D1 men's lacrosse. So uh, whoever wins this game should probably have the best resume builder uh, of any team in the country, and there's no reason why Maryland shouldn't be ranked at least number two. And when you just kind of look at the Big Ten and the depth of talent that's always in lacrosse in the Big Ten, but this year, number of teams kind of ranked in this um, poll this week. When you look at the slate Maryland has ahead, who do you think are going to be in the conference, maybe some of those tougher matchups for Maryland and maybe pose a little bit more of a challenge? Well, the Big Ten, I believe right now, has three teams ranked. I, I believe that's what's going on right now. Um, Rutgers is the highest ranked team in the conference. Other than Maryland, they are, like the Terps, really experienced. Um, they return a lot of players from last year's team, and they've been really heavy on the transfer portal in recent years, uh, bringing in a lot of different guys from different places. Um, so they're going to be a tough matchup. Um, and then Johns Hopkins is always difficult, uh, big rivalry there. Uh, Maryland has to go on the road uh, for the last game of the season to Homewood Field. Um, so that's going to be a tricky game. And then, you know, teams like Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, they're not ranked right now, um, but they are, you know, they've been pretty impressive in their you know, beginning of their season. And they look like they could be, you know, players in the national conversation. So, I mean, the Big Ten uh, is one of the best conferences in the country. Uh, most people would probably say the ACC is the top conference. The Big Ten is right there with it. Um, it's very deep, and there's going to be no easy games. The Terps have to play five straight games to end the season in the conference. Um, so, they're, you know, they're going to have to step up to the challenge if they want to prove themselves. Well, yeah, you talk about kind of like the ACC, and the, I think a lot of people have the presumption that um, the ACC has a ton of like the blue bloods in lacrosse, and you look ahead to the schedule, and there's definitely one matchup that stands out to me, and that's that Virginia game, you know, the rematch of the national championship. When you look ahead to that game and you look at kind of is that one that stands out to you as well, kind of what are you looking forward to about that game, and what do you think um, Maryland will have to kind of do these next few weeks just to get ready in all the games they have leading up to it? Well, in terms of pure talent, that is probably their most difficult game um, this regular season. Um, I mentioned this, I, I talked about it to um, the coaches and uh, defenseman Brett Makar um, at media day. I talked about it. I said, you know, are you guys circling this game as, you know, revenge game? 
And they tried to downplay it. They tried to say, you know, we're taking it one game at a time. But you could tell that loss in the national championship game, you know, really stuck with them. And they're they're out to, you know, prove themselves that they are able to climb that peak. Um, I think that game should be probably the ultimate litmus test. Um, I don't think anything's been officially announced, but that game's probably going to be played on a neutral site in D.C. Um, so, I, you know, that, that, that'll probably be the game that most fans have scheduled um, as, you know, a must-watch game. Um, Virginia is an incredibly talented team. We saw that last season. Uh, they returned one of the best players in the country in Connor Schellenberger. Uh, he, with Logan Wisnowskis, with a couple other players, will be, you know, in the player of the year conversation. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely a game to look forward to. Um, but they have a long way to go. A lot of tough matchups along the way. And Loyola, you know, Loyola this week could end up being one of the toughest teams they play this year. Uh, they have Final Four talent on their team. An influx of talent is a good way to describe what Maryland kind of brings every single year, especially with the, the men's and the women's lacrosse programs. I mean, both those programs are really just top notch and they're always seemingly within the, the top three every single year. If with that kind of rotating talent that's always coming in and replenishing what's lost the season before, especially for this men's team, who are some of those, the, the younger guys on this roster, the freshmen, the, who are some of the X factors that maybe uh, that are going to chip in besides like a Wisnowskis or a Khan, you know, who are some of those guys that you're expecting to step up and be strong secondary scorers and other role players for the Terps? Oh, well, the interesting thing about this team is that they're so experienced and that a lot of the younger guys uh, aren't getting as much playing time, at least early in the season, as uh, maybe at some other schools, uh, just because of the depth of this program. Um, head coach John Tillman, he mentioned this, um, saying that, you know, he had to talk with the younger guys. He said, hey, you might not get all the opportunities you want early in your career, but if you stick it out, um, you know, this program, they foster talent and, you know, these young guys will come up and and, you know, they'll be the names, they'll be the household names in a couple of years. Um, that being said, two sophomores started against High Point uh, for the Terps. Uh, on defense, uh, Ajax Zappoletto started, first career start. And then in midfield, uh, Eric Molliver started. Um, that being said, their freshmen aren't really getting much playing time. Uh, they had two five-star freshmen sign with them. Uh, Eric Spanos is on the team, um, but... You know, we'll, we'll see how much he actually plays this year. And then Dante Trader was their highest rated recruit. He's a top 10 recruit in the entire country, uh, but he chose not to play this year because he wanted to pursue his football career. He might play in future years, it's, you know, to be seen. But, um, you know, Maryland, they have some great newcomers, um, but most of the newcomers that are playing are the experienced transfers. Uh, just because of the depth of the team, it's hard to get those young guys in. And before we get into some great score predictions in the Loyola game, just looking at this uh, the season big picture-wise, is, is it kind of a championship or bus season again for Maryland? Because now it's just seeming like it's, it's kind of the same story every year where if you win the championship, you know, they're one of the top three teams coming into the year. It's, it's, it's expected that they're going to be back in the, the final four and in the championship game. Is that just once again the storyline? It's championship or, or they didn't reach their full potential this season? Well, it's, you know, I, I could argue it's a bit unfair to like place championship or bus expectations on a team so early in the season. But that being said, um, Maryland's program mantra is be the best. Um, their goal every year is to win the national championship or at least compete for it. And they have all the talent in the world to do that this year. They have a great coaching staff. They have great players all over the field. Um, there's no team that they should play this year. They should be overwhelmed by. Um, 
I don't know if I would say championship or bust in the sense that this season is a failure if they don't win the national championship, but they should, they should definitely qualify for the NCAA tournament. They should be in the quarterfinals. They should probably make a run to championship weekend this year. If everything goes right, a lot can happen in that time period between now and then. Um, But they are just as good as anyone in the country. And, you know, with the teams like Virginia at the top, Duke, et cetera, North Carolina, um, they should be right there in the national conversation for this whole season. Right. And we certainly all know the, the fact that truly anything can happen, considering what uh, we are witnessing with the men's basketball season. Obviously, they came into the season ranked number 21 in the nation, and things have gone kind of askew since then. But Maryland men's lacrosse seems to be on the up and up. I don't think John Tillman's going to be uh, retiring or, no, or resigning. I, 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 don't, <laughs> I don't think he will be departing midseason. That would be, honestly, that would probably be a little more shocking than Turgeon leaving midseason. So uh, let's just get your score predictions then for Maryland men's lacrosse's next game, which will be against Loyola. And they're ranked as number eight slash nine on the website. I'm not quite sure how that works. But nevertheless, they're ranked, and Maryland will be facing Loyola in College Park on Saturday at noon. Emmett, your great score predictions. Let's hear them. Well, uh, Loyola, they're really good. Uh, they're going to be a really tough matchup uh, really early in the season. They're so experienced. That's a big advantage for them. That being said, I got to ride with the Terps. Um, I'm going to say Maryland's going to win 12-10, to 10, I think, another big game from Logan Wisnowskis. And the defense is going to bounce back after a subpar performance from last week. Uh, I think they'll get the job done this week. All right, great. A wonderful score prediction, Emmett. We got Maryland in a close win against Loyola. And I think that just about does it for the the somewhat season preview after the season opener. So thank you so much for hopping on, Emmett. We are now going to transition to Maryland men's basketball, but thanks so much for hopping on and good luck covering the game on Saturday. Thank you guys. Super excited. And thanks for having me. All right, Emmett. Appreciate it. Maryland men's basketball, 11 and 12, 3 and 9 in conference play. Just one game since our last podcast. They had the Sunday road matchup with Ohio State, who was number 16 at the time. And in the new rankings, they were still ranked at number 16 after taking down the Terps. Uh, they beat Maryland by 15. They entered Sunday's game with a perfect 9 and 0 record at home, did the Buckeyes. And Ohio State was just hitting from everywhere in this matchup, especially early on. Perimeter shots, they're working inside early. EJ Liddell was a force inside and out. Uh, the Buckeyes jumped out to a 30-16 to 16 lead with around seven minutes left in the first half. Took a 13-point lead into halftime. Uh, Buckeyes obviously hold on to win the game, 82-67. to 67. Just looking at this game, uh, what are some of our initial takeaways from it? Because it just seems to be a, another – step in the road for for Maryland to fall in the Big Ten standings? Yeah, I would just say that this was definitely one of those matchups where Maryland struggled to kind of find its footing and it really ended up hurting them in the long run in terms of the game. And I'd say, um, I'm sure we'll get into it, but Dante Scott really stood out for me as a player kind of he showcased flashes of this throughout the season and he did it again against Ohio state, despite um, the team picking up the loss. But ultimately I would say for me, just kind of some bigger takeaways again, Maryland kind of struggled to shoot well and find its footing. And additionally, just wasn't really able to get that road win, but I don't necessarily think that this was one 
that was, it was going to be a challenge for them to do it. And then as soon as they started playing, it became clear that once they, um, once Ohio State was really hitting all those shots, like you were talking about, it was going to be very difficult for them to kind of climb back. Yeah, it didn't seem like a game where, uh, I, I don't know, it didn't seem like a game where Maryland had much of a chance right from, right from the get-go. I, I mean, it was close early on, and then there just seemed a point where Maryland's offense stalled, which it typically does against strong Big Ten teams. And then Ohio State just kept it coming in the first half, and ultimately that was enough to do Maryland in. Yeah, and, and I was just going to say, I mean, it was kind of just like a Sunday afternoon game. You know, there wasn't a lot of energy. There wasn't a lot of effort. You could see that in the way they were playing, and they weren't getting a lot of production because of that. You know, they came out with very lethargic performance. They picked it up in the second half, but the only guy who's really had energy was playing aggressive from start to finish was Dante Scott, who obviously had an unbelievable game, 25 points on E for 13 shooting, ties his career high. He had 25, a different game earlier this season. But he was the only guy who was playing with a ton of effort, playing with a ton of energy, and then really producing for this team. And Ohio State's one of the best teams in the Big Ten. So, you know, you can't really expect them to compete from a talent perspective with Ohio State, especially EJ Little was getting whatever he wanted at any, at any moment he wanted, really. But in terms of effort, you know, it wasn't really there on, set, on Sunday on the road. And just to touch upon what you were saying about Dante, I think he's talked about this over and over, and it's, it is displayed in some of his gameplay like how much fight he truly has. And he is a leader on this team. And before the season started, he was talked about as um, him and Ayala kind of having this veteran Maryland experience and Dante kind of finding his voice a little bit within the team in terms of not only leading by example, but also leading by conversation and, you know, using um, kind of his words and energy to um, motivate his teammates. But I think that what we saw on Sunday from him was him just continuing to fight and despite Maryland maybe not being able to walk away with the win or whatever the case may be, not walk away with the upset, he really wasn't going to give up. And it's kind of like he said it over and over, but it's one thing to say you're not going to give up and another thing to kind of demonstrate it. And I think he's really been doing a nice job. His playing can definitely be relatively inconsistent game to game, but in a game like this, he really proves that when you continue to fight, good things can happen. And Dante Scott has just kind of those weird games. And the games before this, he was not shooting the ball well at all. And it just seems to be, for players like Scott and Ayala, I don't think throughout the season or throughout their careers here, I don't think they've ever, like, changed up how they play or how they attack. It's kind of just, they just roll out the kind of same, obviously they make adjustments and everything, but to the naked eye, it just seems like they kind of just roll out with the same mentality, same mindset. And sometimes the shots fall and sometimes they don't. For Dante Scott, they did 25 points, 8 for 13 shooting. He was easily the team's best player. The next best was Fats Russell to finish with 12 points. But just overall for Maryland's starting five, a, a ton, a ton of inefficiency when shooting the ball. Fats Russell, 12 points, 5 of 15, 1 of 6 from 3. Ayala, another poor performance, 2 for 9, 2 for 7 from 3. Hakeem Hart, two for seven from the field, just six points. So Maryland just not getting the scoring against Ohio State's defense, the starting five, not really. And, and if one, and once again, this has been something that we've been talking about. If you don't get the starting five going, it's not like there's so much depth to lift up what Maryland can do. Xavier Green, zero. Uh, Simon Wright, zero. Ian Martinez, zero points. Marcus Dockery, who even played for a minute at the end, zero points. 
And Julian Reese was the only player off Maryland's bench to get any kind of points. Is this kind of what we're going to see for the rest of the season where it's going to be the starting five and then trickle in points wherever you can from the rest? I mean, yeah, probably. Like, that's, that's kind of what we've that's been. That's what it's been. That's what it's that's, been. Yeah, that's what it's been. So I don't really expect it to change. It's just eight games left. I mean, maybe um, some other guys get more of an opportunity with, like, playing with house money. But I don't know. I mean, they still have winnable games on, on the schedule, and we'll look ahead in a little bit. But, you know, Minnesota, Penn State, um, Nebraska, all games they might maybe even should be favored in. Um, and then, you know, they want to play upset. So I'm not – like, they're not going to just – like not be playing their best players. They're still going to try to win as many games as possible, even in a lost season at this point. So they're going to be playing the best players. And, and maybe you'll get that production from Julian Reese a little bit more. You know, he's he's the guy that we've talked about a lot that we all believe is the only lock to really still be here next year. So maybe you're going to see that from him. Um, Ian Martinez is fell out of the rotation, gets sporadic minutes, but, you know, you don't really see much from him when he's on the floor. So, yeah, I don't really expect that to change. Yeah, neither do I. I think that it's been the theme kind of all season. We may see like a game here or there where maybe Julian has a larger game or maybe Xavier has a larger game, whatever the case may be. But I don't think it's really going to be anything where somebody new is kind of coming off the bench and consistently producing points. And I think that just was never really the case with this team in terms of the scoring potential. We saw that really early on with all those scoring struggles that they were having. But I do think that when everyone in the what has seemed to be the consistent starting lineup now at this point um, kind of does plays up to their shooting potential. It's not that they necessarily need it, but the problem is, is when they're not, they don't really have the pieces to make up for it. And we see the differences in the depth scoring. Just, just, you can just look at the box score and it'll tell you everything you need to know. Julian Reese just with six points off the bench and then Ohio state 21 points off the bench. That's 15 more points. That's exactly what Maryland lost by. I mean, Depth in the Big Ten is what makes the difference between a win or a loss. And Ohio State, they look like the team that Maryland wanted to be earlier in the year. They will surely stay within the top 25 unless they have any unforeseen losses. Ohio State's a great home team. But this, it, there needs to be something to be said about Maryland's defense this year. Maryland's defense is visibly, statistically, just about everywhere. It's just taking a step back defensively. And 82 points to Ohio State is not going to cut it. E.J. Liddell getting 24 points on 9 for 14 shooting. He was a force inside and outside. He also hit two threes. And then um, the three-point shooter, I never know how to pronounce his name, Justin Arns, Arns, I believe it is. I always say like a Arns or something, Arns, Justin Arns. He had 14 points, four of seven shooting. He, he broke out of some – Crazy shooting slump as well. It just seems everybody is clicking against Maryland. And I don't know if we've talked about this all year, but Maryland's defense, now that we've had like almost a full season of looking at it without players like uh, Daryl Morcel and Aaron Wiggins, just how much did those two players, how much were like, is their value lost, especially on the defensive end, now that we kind of seen the full picture of what Maryland isn't able to do against opposing star players and offenses. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to think that, um, you know, those two guys are even on the team and, and they had the potential of returning. Obviously there are more cells playing college basketball at Marquette and he's having an unbelievable year shooting the ball incredibly well. He's been a leader on that team and completely turned that team around. 
And then um, Aaron Wiggins is obviously playing in the NBA, having some success in his rookie season. But those two guys were – they were the two best players on the team last year, but they're also phenomenal defenders. And you looked at Hakeem Hart in the beginning of this year as, like, he could be the primary guy who maybe like, could take that role on as a, as a – um, as the guy who shuts down the opposing team's players. And the reality is that there's so much talent in the Big Ten, and these guys are so good that it's hard, like who they're playing night in and night out, most recently EJ Liddell, that it's so hard to shut them down. But Akeem Hart has shown that he's become a quality defender. He put on a ton of strength, can move his feet well in the perimeter, um, can go go against guys straight up in the post. But um, he's not necessarily guarding the best player on opposing teams, whether it's a guard, whether it's a forward, on a night-to-night basis. You know, they're putting Dante Scott on them sometimes. It's really, it, they're, they're not just immediately like Hakeem Hart, that's your defensive matchup. And we saw he wasn't even on the floor in that Michigan State game when they, it was a tie game with a, like 11 seconds left or something. Hakeem Hart wasn't even on the floor for that last defensive possession. Dante Scott gets blown by to the rim and his foot speed hasn't been great on the perimeter this year, but he gets blown by to the rim and Michigan State um, wins and and Maryland can't get the upset at home. So, I mean, it's it's... It's, it's, yeah, their defense is a problem, but the competition they're playing in the Big Ten has just been so elite. Yeah, and I think even if we haven't spoken about this directly, I mean, indirectly, we talk about almost every week a new player having some sort of career high or some breakout performance, like whatever the case may be, season high. So I think their loss is definitely the, um, their presence is definitely um, missed in a way. And I do think that Hakeem Hart has definitely developed as a defender. And I agree that he's not always the go-to guy. And, you know, maybe sometimes Xavier Green comes into the game to like for a couple of plays and just kind of shuts things down, but then it's kind of back on the bench, that kind of thing. But there isn't that kind of one consistent player who can do that job. And I think that that's sorely missed on Maryland and something that, you know, I don't see that necessarily changing between like now and the end of the season. There's not enough time, but I do think that there are a couple tests coming up and we've seen in some of these other rematches, Maryland kind of fixing things and all of a sudden players who are doing unbelievable and having all-star performances against Maryland the first time do really well the second time, but not kind of exploiting Maryland's defense the way they did the first time. So I think we'll kind of get a feel or taste for that later against Iowa, see what happens there. But also going forward, there is so much depth and talent in terms of what other teams have to offer on offense in the Big Ten that Maryland's just going to continuously get tested. So kind of a toss-up. Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, Maryland's defense really struggling. I think Daryl Morsell surprisingly might be the more important piece compared to Aaron Wiggins. I don't, I don't know why. That's just what I feel. I feel as though – the dual threat that Daryl Morcell offered, and it's not like Aaron Wiggins was a slouch defensively, but Morcell was just on a different, I don't want to say vibe, it was just on a different, you know, level defensively, and he just lifted up the whole team last year and ever since he was with Maryland, and Maryland is sorely missing a thriving Daryl Morcell on a now-ranked Marquette team. And I, I've watched my fair share of Marquette games this year. I'm not sure if anyone else has, but Morcell is – he's become – the second score on that team. And it just makes me wonder how he could have developed on this Maryland team and where he would have been scoring wise, but it's clear that he wanted to be the primary, one of the primary scoring options. And he might've been able to do that. Somehow Maryland's offense is not great this year, but at the same time, there are still too many mouths to feed. It almost just like counteracts itself. 
But Daryl Morcel would have just been another mount defeat if he was on Maryland's roster this year. He's getting the chance to do it at Marquette. And, boy, is he thriving on both ends of the floor. So uh, congratulations to Daryl Morcel for picking a really good home in Marquette. And Maryland's really missing those top players. And then just going back to this Ohio State game, Ohio, Ohio State shot 51% compared to Maryland's 39% from the floor. And something Maryland strayed away from something that it's talked about all season and since Danny Manning has joined on, and that's been attacking the paint, getting to the free throw line, getting into the bonus early. But it seemed that Maryland did kind of the exact opposite in that loss to the Buckeyes. The Terps shot 29 threes and got to the foul line just 16 times. I, I'm assuming Danny Manning couldn't have been happy with those numbers and those limited touches in the paint. Is, is shooting 29 threes, even though Maryland was down for the majority of the game to Ohio State, the, the recipe for success for a comeback? Should uh, What could have Maryland done differently or attacked Ohio State's defense differently to try to forge a comeback? Yeah, I mean, look, they need like their plan is going to most games. And when you watch their team play, you can see it going early. They want to play through the post. They want to play dribble drive. They want to get downhill and want their paints, their points to be scored in the paint. And they try to do that early in games, but they often go away from it within the first like four or five minutes of the game. And, you know, um, we saw that against Ohio State. You know, they're shooting 29 threes a game. They're not a good three-point shooting team. They will win no games against nobody if they're shooting that, especially not in the Big Ten, if they're shooting that um, – many threes per game because they're not a very good shooting team. We've seen them get hot. You know, they had a great night against Rutgers, by the way, the only big 10 team to beat Rutgers in it, when Rutgers is playing at home, which is, which looks like a very impressive win. Not that it means much, but um, they, unless they're getting incredibly hot against Rutgers, like they did against Rutgers, they're not a team that's, that's going to be shooting. That should be shooting high volume from three point range. They're just not. And the reality is that when they do that, they're not going to have a lot of success. They need to go through the dribble drive. And then when you, when you play through the post, you play through the dribble, dri- dribble drive, it creates more open looks from three, and then you'll have more chances to knock them down, open shots at least. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think that the best way for this Maryland team to win or find ways to win is not doing it from three-point range. I think that there really has been so few instances where they've shown that that is a way that they can kind of get things done. And they're effective when they're drawing fouls and doing things in the paint and getting other players in trouble. So, and, you know, Danny Manning has, like you said, Dylan has emphasized this since literally his first press conference that he had is how important it is to draw fouls early and often and get to the line early and often and get into that bonus early, because it's kind of like the best way to kind of clean up extra points out there. And so it, is interesting to me that they kind of shied away from that against Ohio State. Um, I'm not totally sure why, especially because it has proven to be relatively effective for them, and they do play better when they are in control. That I think it was that first Rutgers game, although they ended up losing that game, in the first half they were able to build that lead, much in part because they got into the bonus very early. So I think when you look at Maryland's historical success this season, it's not coming from behind the three. It is coming from driving into the paint, drawing fouls, stuff like that. And the big issue with the three-point shooting, and it needs to be said, is Eric Ayala's tendency to kind of just hoist it up from deep whenever he pleases. And not that that's a bad thing for Maryland. If I want anybody shooting the three-point ball, it's Eric Ayala. But when he's shooting at a a two-for-nine clip from the field, two-for-seven against the top-ten team, especially when 
uh, the last couple of games, he hasn't necessarily been red hot from beyond the arc. And he recently had a game where he had a, a very bad clip from deep. It's just, it just wasn't really working for Maryland. And I also think that says something about, uh, I think a performance like that kind of cements, you know, nobody really expects Danny Manning to come back on as the, as the head coach next year. But I think a performance like that kind of cements that statement because Manning's been talking, Lauren, you said it, Manning's been talking all year about how uh, they need to attack the paint and whatnot. And then just for Maryland to kind of stray away from that strategy, who knows what was said during the game, you know, but you could just tell that the team kind of panicked when they were down by so much and they strayed away from uh, where they typically find success. And they opted to go from the three point line. They ended up scoring Maryland scored nine more points than it did in the second half than it did in the first half. But still the, the, crazy amount of three-point attempts some of them not great looks some of them just straight up misses but either way Maryland's success stems from the paint and inside and that's just not something that it was able to get done against Ohio State now after this loss Maryland is still located in the bottom four of the Big Ten you know is there any world in which you can envision Maryland playing out of the bottom four of the conference, that would mean uh, like a Northwest, they would have to move past Northwestern that had, currently has two more wins ahead of them. They would have to uh, jump over teams like Penn State and outlast like a Minnesota, Nebraska. There, there's plenty of options, still plenty of games to go. But do you envision a world in which Maryland plays itself out of the bottom four of the Big Ten? I kind of do just because, I mean, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I see a possibility just because they're going to be playing all these teams. I mean, they're going to be playing, they're all like separated by one game or in Northwestern's case, two games, but they're going to be playing Penn State, they're going to be playing Minnesota, they're going to be playing Nebraska. Those are the bottom three. So they'll have an opportunity to gain that edge, gain that edge over them if, if they can beat them, obviously. If they're not, then they're going to be playing in the final four, in the bottom four. Northwestern did just pick up a big upset win, and they're capable of knocking off some big teams. So Northwestern's probably going to finish ahead of Maryland. Maryland would have to go, like, they would have to have a winning record the rest, the rest of the season, and Northwestern would have to um, fall, fall off a little bit for that to happen. So it's unlikely that they pass Northwestern. But, you know, anything can happen if Maryland picks up, you know, Maryland's playing Purdue. Maryland's playing Ohio State again at home when they're honoring the national championship team. So they're going to, in 2002, so they're going to have opportunities to knock off teams that are definitely better than them and ranked teams. If they can do that, then maybe they can play out of that bottom four. Yeah, I don't think it's totally out of the question. Um, I think that they, I think that they have a really good opportunity to beat the other teams that are going to kind of be around them anyway in that tournament during the regular season. And then it really is a matter of kind of how Northwestern performs. But if Maryland's not doing their job and kind of taking care of the teams that um, it has to kind of at the bottom here in like Nebraska, Minnesota, Penn State, all of those, then, you know, it doesn't really matter how Northwestern's doing. But if they can kind of pull it off um, in their end of the um, schedule, then there's a chance I think that they do play out of that bottom four. Yeah, I think there's definitely a chance. They're definitely going to have to win those games against Nebraska, Penn State, and Minnesota. But is is there I, – I, I think we're wrapping up soon, but just looking at the remaining schedule, I think we've exhausted, you know, is Maryland's chances for the NCAA tournament still alive? I would say that it is dead um, as of right now. So eight games left remaining in the season, assuming – 
that Maryland comes away with wins against Nebraska, Penn State, and Minnesota. Is there another game out of the ones against Iowa tonight, Purdue, Indiana, Michigan State, and Ohio State? Which of those do you think Maryland has the best chance to play a little spoiler upset in? Because I, I would think that I would say it's probably tonight is the best shot against Iowa, minus three and a half. But if, exactly, if, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think, I think it is tonight is their best chance. I also look at that Ohio State game I just mentioned. Um, I expect a good crowd that game. Uh, it's a Sunday game. Again, they're honoring them, I believe, if I'm correct, it's February 27th. They're honoring the national championship team from 2002. So there's going to be a lot of um, Maryland legends in the building. I think they'll have some good energy in that game. And they, look, they so far this season, and we'll find out if this can, trend can continue tonight, but they've there are three and zero in rematches. They've every time they've played the opponent for the second time in the Big Ten, they've won. So I do think that Ohio State game I look at, they obviously lost to or like um this past Sunday, and then tonight because I was not a very good team. They're probably not going to be making the tournament either. They're still fighting for some Big Ten position, and maybe maybe they can get on the bubble. But so I look at tonight um as as a good opportunity for Maryland to get an upset. Yeah, I completely agree. I'd say Iowa is definitely their best chance. And then um, I agree, Ohio State is another opportunity. I'm not so sure they pick up wins against both, but um, Ohio State will be coming into what I also imagine is going to be like a pretty lively Xfinity Center honoring that 2002 team. Um, we know Maryland fans love that 2002 team, so I think that they will draw a lot of um, energy into that stadium. And also just based on how um, unable they were to string together the pieces against Ohio State, it, it didn't, despite Maryland having trouble to kind of pull it together in other games, this one looked a little bit different than in past where they just really weren't able to get things going. And um, Dante Scott was the only one doing so. So I think against the Buckeyes, they have the chance potentially to, I guess, pull off an upset there at home um, if everyone else just kind of uh, pulls it together in that game. Yeah, I would say that the, the Iowa game is probably the best shot they have. And then the Ohio State one in College Park is definitely the next best upset chance. I'm sure they'll be favored in the games against – even in the road game against Nebraska. Um, but then, I mean, the other road games are extremely daunting for Maryland the rest of the way. You got – besides the Nebraska one, you have Purdue coming up against the Iowa game, the Indiana matchup on the road in late February, that second rematch, and then a rematch against Michigan State to close out the regular season. So I think we can get into uh, our wonderful score predictions about 30 minutes after Emmett gave his score predictions for the Maryland men's lacrosse game. So let's we're, we'll be at this game in about uh, four or so hours. So let's uh, give our score prediction to the game. I'm going to – ooh, ooh, this is, this is going to be a close one. They always are, and I'm usually never right. But I will say Maryland wins 71-69. to 69. I'll say it's a two-point game, a close one in college. It's going to be a good one. Um, yeah, I think Maryland wins too. Um, you know, it's rare we predict that, but I think they're going to win 67 to 62. Um, I also think Maryland's going to win. I think it's going to be close. I think that if they can hold Keegan Murray to less than the absurd 35 points he scored last time, they definitely have a chance. So I think Maryland wins 74 to 71. All right, we all got Maryland tonight. Maryland going into the game 11-12, 3-9 in conference play, 7-7 seven and seven at home. Eight games left in the regular season, and it's an even split between home and road matchups. 
So we'll see what happens with the Iowa game tonight, and we will be back next Thursday to go over the Iowa results and how Maryland fares against Purdue, which should be a scary matchup for the Terps uh, in West Lafayette. So it'll be an interesting game tonight against Iowa, and we will get back to you guys next week with the results of that. So thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next Thursday with another podcast.